Beans are hopelessly uncool. Big-time chefs don't get bean tattoos on their arms the way they do diagrams of pork butchery. Beans don't get the thousands of Instagram likes granted to the most mundane picture of avocado toast. They aren't the subject of best-selling cookbooks. It is the official position of Check the Pantry, however, that beans are awesome and you should eat more of them. Today, we're talking about red beans. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood. My guest today is Terry Robel, and it's time to Check the Pantry. Common bean, Phaseolus vulgaris, a species which includes black, white, green, pinto, and our topic today, red beans, was domesticated around 6,000 years ago, somewhere in Central America. It rapidly spread as part of a package deal, bundled with squash and corn, all commonly planted together by indigenous people from the Iroquois in the north to the Maya in the south. The three plants form a self-contained agricultural unit. Beans fix nitrogen from the air in the soil. Corn, a heavy feeder, consumes large amounts of that nitrogen as it grows, and its sturdy high stalks provide ample upward space for the beans to climb. Squash covers the ground, suppressing weeds and keeping the soil moist. The three plants together are nutritionally complete, grow in a wide variety of climates, and store very well. The whole story is so well known today that planting these crops together was the feature image on the backside of the Sacagawea dollar coin. The common beans entrance into European cookery has a definite date. In 1528, Pope Clement VII received a gift of beans from the New World and passed them along to one of his priests, who duly planted them, recorded their growth, harvested them, cooked them, and pronounced them delicious. From there, they spread throughout Europe and became so common that by the 19th century, confident if ignorant writers of gardening books in England were informing their readers that Phaseolus vulgaris was in fact a native of India. The rediscovery of the American origin of beans by Europeans I will tell here, sourced entirely from the exhaustive and charming, if rather Franco-centric, A History of Food by Magellan Toussaint Samat. The first troubles arose from the French word for beans. The same word is used in English as well, though it refers to a specific variety of small white beans, or in the form haricot vert, to green beans. And there happened to be a kind of stew of very ancient provenance, made of root vegetables and mutton called haricot, a word that derived from the old German for to cut into pieces. Alexandre Dumas, the author of not only The Three Musketeers, but also one of the most influential histories of French cooking, conjectured, with very little evidence, that the stew originally was made with beans, and was later made with root vegetables, but kept the original name. He asserted that the common bean took its name through association with the stew. As often happens, one sufficiently authoritative source influences all the ones that came afterward, and soon ancient Latin writers' references to beans of all kind were being translated into French as haricot. English writers picked up the idea, and soon the Eurasian origin of the common bean was common sense. Jean-Henri Fabre was both a great lover of beans and an entomologist, author of a ten-volume study of insects. As he perused his Virgil in a French translation, he noted that the text described haricot being planted in autumn, which he found totally ridiculous. Everyone knew that the common bean was planted in the spring. It is the fava bean, which actually is native to Eurasia, and a bean that Virgil knew well that is planted in the fall to overwinter. And so with this question in his mind, Fabre cast about for an answer. And in 1901, he found one close to hand, a weevil native to Europe. This particular weevil, which had been known since antiquity, was a voracious consumer of fava beans, chickpeas, lentils, and other types of Eurasian legumes. But it had no appetite 
for the common bean. There were other weevil species in Europe that were known to avoid potatoes and corn, which were of course known to be New World imports, while they feasted on native grains and root vegetables. Why then, Fabra asked, should we assume anything different about this weevil and this bean? Surely if Phaseolus vulgaris had grown up alongside this weevil, it would happily consume it. And not long after the publication of his essay, he was sadly proven right in his hypothesis when an American weevil with a diet of the common bean landed in France and proceeded to devastate stored beans across Europe. Fabre knew, however, that his theory did not explain how the word haricot became attached to the bean and knew that many people are more amenable to linguistic arguments than to nonsense about the dietary habits of insects. He soon found an answer, however, in an interview he came across with a poet whose mother was a Spanish-speaking Cuban. The poet had solved the mystery he proclaimed for the indigenous Mexican word for the bean was ayacotl, very similar in pronunciation to the already existing French word haricot. In a short time, the words mingled, and Alexandre Dumas invented out of whole cloth a fanciful history that, because it sounded vaguely plausible, was enthusiastically believed. Of course, there is now much more historical and scientific evidence for the North American origin of Phaseolus vulgaris, and Native Americans never supposed it came from anywhere else but their home. The little story of Anglo-French confusion over the origin of the common bean is an excellent cautionary tale about just how easy it is for baseless speculation to transform into the truth of the day. Today, we are going to be making one of the legendary dishes of New Orleans. It's appropriate because today is a Monday when I'm doing this. And I am referring, of course, to red beans and rice, which is a classic Monday dish. Although technically, since I'm starting on Monday, I'm actually not going to be finished with it for another couple days. Anyway, we're going to start from the very beginning here. Longtime listeners of the show, no doubt, are aware of the fact that it's very difficult to find quality smoked and preserved pork products in Alaska. So we are, as usual, we are stuck making our own. And I happened to get very lucky the other day when I was thinking about making these red beans and rice because McNeil Canyon had some freshly cut pork hocks that they had just put in the display case. And so I picked up a couple of them because uh, the ideal place for a for a pork hock to go, it's its finest home, its best expression, in my opinion, is inside a pot of beans. The skin releases a ton of gelatin. There's lots of fat, there's lots of meat, and it generally goes to giving you that lovely, lovely lip-smacking texture that is the result of long-cooked gelatinous material of which there is a lot in pigskin. And what I'm going to do with these hocks is, you know, I could just use them straight. You know, they would be perfectly delicious to just throw them in and uh, let them cook in the beans. But I'm going to take a slightly different tack because that's the kind of cooking show this is. I am going to turn these two lovely pork hocks into pickle meat. And pickle meat is a New Orleans classic that is frequently used in red beans and rice. And really all it is, is very simple. It's meat pickled in vinegar with some spices. A lot of times it'll be pork butt. You can certainly use pork butt and you can certainly use pork butt in the uh, red beans and rice as well. It will be perfectly delicious, but hocks, hocks are even better. So in order to make pickle meat, first you have to make a spiced vinegar. And in this case I used a uh, pretty simple sort of standard recipe. Several garlic cloves smashed, dropped in the vinegar, about a half a cup or so of mustard seeds. Uh, I've got some, a handful of peppercorns, a bay leaf, a little salt, not a whole lot of salt, maybe, I don't know, a tablespoon or so. And I used a little pinch of sodium nitrite, cure number one, to give my pickle meat that lovely pink appearance, but you don't have to. You can leave that out if you don't have any. 
And I've got my hawks. In order to speed up this process, and because I don't really care how the hawks look at the end, they're just going to be bits of meat left behind anyway, I have gone ahead and I've made several incisions in the hawk to expose the interior of the meat. And the reason that I've done that is so that the cure will penetrate faster. Did I mention that my cure also has, it's got vinegar and I took all that stuff and uh, brought it to a boil. And the reason you do that is because you want to sort of infuse the spices into the vinegar. And I have simply brought them to a boil and let them cool down completely. And now I am making incisions in my pork hocks and I'm going to drop them into my vinegar. And they don't quite, it's not quite enough vinegar. So I will give it another little splash here just to cover. And now the hard part of making pickle meat is done. And I'm just gonna let that sit in my refrigerator for two to three days. Cover it. And it'll go in the fridge. When I'm ready to use it, I'll just pull it out, drop them right into the pot of beans and let them go. But we'll get to that later. I do wanna say it's always great to see things like hawks, you know, shanks, that kind of thing, wind up in meat cases because they're so underappreciated and so underused, even though they're delicious. And beans are like, if you see hawks, you should grab them. You should always grab them because you can always throw them into a pot of beans, but they're delicious on their own. You can braise them. Uh, they're very good. They're great smoked. You know, obviously smoked hawks are probably the most common form at, at supermarkets today. That's probably the, the, the number one place you see them. Uh, another fun thing you can do if you're nuts, which I am, <laughs> especially if you can find the, the, the feet, is you can bone them out, take all the meat out, and make a sausage out of the meat, and then put them back into the, the skin, sew it all up, and poach that. Stuffed pig's feet or stuffed hawks are quite delicious and quite lovely and everybody will ooh and ah about them. So, hawks, please buy them, because we want to encourage more hawk availability. Three cheers for hawks. I think I have a, I have a plan B, too. <laughs> I'm very prepared today. Good. At least somebody is. I'm really excited because I honestly, I have no idea what you're doing. Although I know looks, you don't! It looks to me like it's going to be some sort of like a red bean salad. Sort of. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Mm -hmm. Sort of. Yeah, so... Um, let, me get... let me just set the scene here because I'm looking at... Yeah. So it looks like a loaf of some uh, kind I, of like sourdough bread? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> I was going to call you and go, <laughs> Jeff, can I do this? And, and then I went, oh, hell, I'm just going to try it anyway and see if it works. And I made a, a whole grain. It's like white... Flour, rye, wheat with a few sunflower seeds, and I shaped it and I let it rise in the bowl, uh -huh. and it kind of went. <laughs> and I went, well, I mean, it held its shape really well. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't real pretty in top. Mark goes, well, it looks fine. He <laughs> goes, you know, I actually wanted to just try it and see how it would work, and and I thought, oh, I'm too embarrassed to call my cronies and go, do you guys think this will work if I put it in the do you, think, do you think it is overproofed or what? That's, no, that's frequently I, the culprit. I, I cut it. Yeah, and, and you know what? Um, the house got really warm in Ooh, the afternoon. Yeah. The sun came in. Oh, yeah. And I had the wood stove going. Um, and so it, it rose in the in the bowls really quick. Yeah. Like, oh, crap. i got to keep the oven on. And so, um, yeah, weirdly, flatbread is frequently a sign of overproofing. So, okay, and then the other thing was too, it's first rise, I had to go to town and go to the doctor, and it took way longer than I thought, and I got home and it was like up yeah. to the top of the bowl. And I thought, oh, that's not good. But I'm, I'm not a bread baker, I'm not a baker. That's, that's okay. That's not my forte. I mean, I would, I told Marcus, I would love to be a better baker, and I would love to go to baking school just to say, I got this. Okay, so just let me know when you want to start. Oh, we're we're going. Oh, we're going. Let's okay, so I made notes, but um, that's just because I, I'm doing something different out of my comfort zone today. Uh oh. And, um, well, okay, so the inspiration for this dish came from some recipes from the New York Times. Um, I always read the Times recipes, and sometimes um, I I learn a little something from them. And so this 
recipe today is a compilation of a couple different of their recipes that I thought would be good together and have one tasty bite. All right. So when Jeff, when you asked me to be on your show, and I always am like kind of excited to say, okay, what's the topic? <laughs> and you said red beans, and yeah. I just kind of was like a deflated balloon. Like, <laughs> beans? They can't all be easy. <laughs> I know, and I, I love it when I can get inspired and I'm really familiar with our ingredient but especially beans. because I, I took the obvious one away from you well, uh, right and, that, <laughs> and, and right and then that is my next statement because as we all know the perfect dish for red beans is red beans and rice and the roots of that are Louisiana in our country. Yeah, so I and, stole it. And so you stole it because you're Jeff. It. I just and grabbed it immediately. You did, and you're Jeff, <laughs> and I knew you would, and you like, you little bugger. And it's like, but that's okay because I pretty much knew I had to step up my game at that point, and I knew you would showcase the red beans and rice, and they would be amazing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to tasting them sometime. So now the heat's on. Yep. And Terry's got to come up with something really amazing with red beans. I don't know if amazing and red beans go together in the same sense. Well, you know, actually, red beans are maybe my, one of my least favorite beans. Really? Yeah. My favorite beans are white beans. Ah, I love white like beans. the little ones or the bigger ones? I like all of them. I like okay. all white beans. I like well, white beans. I like lima beans. I like, I I like, uh, beans. I like chickpeas. And I like uh, actually. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a show this. I'm gonna do a show this summer on uh, fava beans because I grew those this year Fun. and they were amazing. Because beans don't grow here. No, you know? like, beans do not grow here. Fava beans. They grew. Amazing. Did you have them in a greenhouse? No, 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 oh no. My gosh. Well, the thing about them is they're they're actually a, they're a winter plant in ah. uh, in the Middle East, which is where they originated. Ah, well, that's so they grew them in the winter, which coincidentally is about the same weather as we have I, in the I don't summer. know, honestly, <laughs> if I've ever seen a fava bean grow or in in the pod or whatnot. Anyway, so so moving I can't on. I moving along. I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than like baked beans or something. I'm not a bean girl at heart. Okay? Really? No. I um, love beans. I I like them, and which is kind of sad because they're they're inexpensive. They're versatile. Um, they're uh, uh, I mean they're they're fabulous. So um, I think the closest as I could come to incorporating a red bean into a dish I'm familiar with was Mark's mom's beans. So any family gathering that we ever went to, mom-in-law always had her beans. And it was a bunch of, it was kidney beans, lima beans, pork and beans. Uh, what's the other bean that was in it? So like a seven bean? Sort of, but it, it was all canned beans. And then you just made a, you cooked a whole bunch of onions, diced them up, cooked them, and then you cooked a whole bunch of bacon, and then you put in some vinegar and some brown sugar and a few spices, and you baked them. And they were always just really amazing. And they're still amazing. People still love them when I make them and still ask me for the recipe and still, I think they're just a comfort bean recipe people love from the Midwest. So, okay, here's my recipe. All right. All right. It's more or less a, I don't know what, what, what you'd call it, um, <laughs> it's maybe it could be an open face sandwich oh, or it could be an appetizer. Sandwich. All right. So the um, the first level or the, the bottom is a country bread made with wheat, rye, and white flour with a few sunflower seeds I threw in for crunch. And I made this bread because the recipe said use a country bread. And well, I live in the country and I like making bread. So, so whatever okay. bread you make is so, automatically a country bingo. bread. Bingo. <laughs> okay. And so. I'm going to take this bread and I'm going to slice up some nice thick pieces and then I'm going to fry it in the pan with some butter and olive oil so I get a nice crisp on each side and that, that will be the base of my dish. And then the first topping that goes on it is a red bean confit that I made with red beans that I soaked overnight and then I baked them with onion, garlic and bay leaf the next day. The house smelled amazing even though there was no... Um, meat product is there or pork product. Well, that's the nice thing about beans. They like, were fabulous. You don't actually, you don't actually need, you don't really need you meat. You don't. To come and meat, get, meat becomes like a seasoning in beans. You yeah, know, like. yeah. So they smelled fabulous. So they took a lot less 
time to cook than I thought. So I'm glad I pulled them out when I did because they were perfect. It's because you never know, you know? You don't know you how old don't. your beans are. That's exactly it. You don't know how old your beans are. and Especially here. I, I know. So <laughs> it was like a little over two hours that they were cooking in a 325 oven. So anyway, so I took some of those those beautiful red beans and I mixed them with a, a lovely little bit of olive oil I brought back from Italy because Every component has to be special if you can make it special in a dish. And because it was beans, everything else has to be a nice star of the show here today. Well, you know, there's there's fancy beans now. There's you can get fancy like, beans. You can get like heirloom beans. That are like, oh, yes. You know, they're, they're strains of beans that are very difficult to find and that have more flavor than, you know, the usual kind. And they're like fresher. They're not so old, you know, and they, they sort of like dry them to perfection and they're, they cost considerably more than you know, the beans at the grocery store, but I, I personally don't really use them very much because I, I'm cheap. The first time I tried to make cassoulet, yeah. it said to use these um, beautiful, big, white tarbots beans. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I'm so familiar with those. So I ordered some from D'Artagnan, <laughs> and the bag, a pound of them was $20. I did, did was that, that. Was that just for the beans or was that, that was for the shipping? just the beans. Because the shipping here is, oh. all, is the next oh, challenge. Oh, well, um, <laughs> last week I, I got the bright idea I wanted some duck. And so I thought, oh, I'll just check out D'Artagnan. And so they had sale on duck. I'm like, oh, cool, you know. Yeah. 167 bucks for six ducks. And my girlfriend said she'd split them with me. I'm like, sweet, we'll splurge. And I check out the shipping. $127. Yeah. Nah, no yeah. duck. No. Yeah. So anyway. Because so, like, you know, I mean, actually the, the, the per duck price there isn't, isn't that no, bad. No, it, it really wasn't. Because the ones here, you know, you get them at the, at the store and they're right. usually around 20 bucks for a whole duck. So, right. And that's just, you know, generic commodity duck. So these are like, you know, yeah. fancy heirloom ducks and, and they're less than, you know, 25 bucks each. I, I, that's not too bad. Thank you for you know? justifying that with me. But the, but the shipping is the... Other oh, shipping is a killer because they would only ship them overnight. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway. Okay. So, so we got our bread. We got our... So the beans I mixed with olive oil, um, a nice little special balsamic vinegar from Italy I got when I was over there three years ago. It's still quite delightful. And I mixed a little red wine vinegar in with that. I was drinking a little red wine, so I even threw a little bit of that in there. <laughs> and then I minced a little garlic, and I put a squeeze of lemon juice, and then some salt and pepper. So I have this nice little um, bean confit here that Ooh, is that. actually, it, it. oh, and I put a few little chili flakes in it, because um, it just, so it tastes pretty, pretty darn okay. So I put this together with the whole beans. And then I thought, you know, I think I'll mash some of them up and put them in there for a little viscosity and a little thickness. And so I mashed a few up on my cutting board and I put them in there. Yeah, it went, it went fabulous. That's a classic thing to do with beans. Yeah, I know, it's the thick thing, you know? Well, then I thought, okay, what else is gonna taste good there? So then I have always loved um, home pickled Ooh. red onions. And um, Is that I don't celery in there too. And I threw some celery in just for fun <laughs> because I was chopping up celery for Spanish rice, uh -huh. which I also put some of the red beans in last night. So this is for a little tang and crunch. And then, of course, being the Wisconsin girl I am, even though this cheese is Point Reyes blue cheese from California, I thought, okay, that needs to go on top of that because that would be fabulous. And then I oven roasted some walnuts with a little olive oil and salt and brown them a little bit. And then I took some of our special bacon from Wisconsin and I fried that up. Is there like a, like a butcher shop there There's that you a, get this stuff oh, from? Totally. There's a little tiny town across the lake from where I grew up, Oshkosh. The little town's called Pipe. Really? You're from Oshkosh? Mm-hmm. Oshkosh, Bagosh. Bagosh. Yeah. They used to be there. Is that where they, is that and where then they, they moved this? to Chicago and now they're overseas, I, oh, I think. Everybody is now. I know. Anyway, so this little town called Pipe is across the lake, and it's a lovely little drive in the fall. So we always go there, and we call ahead, and we order like 40 pounds of bacon or something in one-pound um, chunks that we're going to freeze. And there's a church, a tavern, a little tiny meat market that is in an old brick building that... You swear you're going back into the 1940s when you walk inside. <laughs> and they make some really good bacon. So we're going to put together our little um, appetizer or open-faced sandwich. And... Um, canapé. 
canapé, a very large canapé, because <laughs> everything in Alaska is big, right? That's right. <laughs> and um, then we'll taste it. So in the meantime, I'm going to cut some bread, and Jeff and I will get to partake in some of this. There's nothing like homemade bread. I used to make it a lot on Adiac because we couldn't get fresh bread out there, and I was really good at it. And, and that was even in the days before we did all the fun stuff with the sourdough and artisan breads and whatnot. And I just put it in the old baking pans and sometimes I made French bread. So it's all good. It was all good, you know? Pickle meat is done, ready to go, nicely pickled. Got my oven preheating to 325 because I'm going to cook these red beans in the oven. You can do them on the stovetop, but for a long cook like this, I feel like we burn a little less propane if we uh, do it in the oven. And I got a cast iron pan, a Dutch oven, heating on the stovetop because I got to saute a bunch of stuff before it's time to actually make the red beans. I've had my red beans soaking. They're soaked overnight. They are nicely plump. I salted the water because... Uh, Salt your water. All right, dump a nice glug of, in this case, canola oil. Probably somebody's gonna be mad at me because I'm not using pork fat or something more delicious, but it is what it is. I don't have any pork fat. Besides, there'll be enough pork fat in the uh, hocks. Chopping some onions. I'm doing a whole pound bag of uh, red kidney beans. So I'm gonna do two onions. Two onions, one bell pepper, two stalks of celery. I got like six cloves of garlic here. And that is my aromatics. I know I've said it before, but please learn how to cut an onion properly. Nothing worse than having like randomly sized chunks of onions in your dishes. Longitudinal cuts, horizontal cuts, and finally the dice as large or as small as you want it. Takes no time, very quick, much quicker than doing that weird random chop thing that people do, where they just have a big pile of randomly chopped vegetables and then randomly chop them some more. Lots of onions. I got lots of beans, I need lots of onions. Put some salt in my onions. All this is done this a million times before on this show and every other cooking show that's ever been in existence a good 30 percent of the shows are dedicated to cooking some form of onions before you start all right i'm gonna cut my bell pepper here unlike onions there's like a million different ways of cutting bell peppers i'm not sure that there's really a best way i tend to i do them different all the time the way that I'm doing it today is I've, I cut the top and the bottom off so I'm left with some straight sides and core out the middle, take out the seeds and cut the, the sides or the, the, the cored out hole, cut that in half and sort of lay it flat, cut out the ribs and now I'm cutting my now flattened sides of the bell pepper into strips and now I will turn the strips and cut it into dice. I cut bell peppers a lot of different ways, but this is this is sort of the way I do it lately. It seems to get a little bit neater and more uniform product. And neatness and uniformity is always a nice thing to strive for in your aromatic vegetables. Cutting the bottom, I just cut out the little butt end thing. I guess that's the flower end. Cut that bottom into dice. And then I just cut the top around the core into four pieces that are not particularly uniform in size and just cut each piece into small dice. If you want your bell peppers to be perfect, you know, like if you were gonna use them for a garnish or something, you would save the, the top and the bottom ends for something else because they're not perfect cubes. But these are going to sit in a pot of beans for two hours and or more actually, probably closer to three. So they don't have to be beautiful. Just don't make them ugly. And the green peppers are going in. I use a lot of Trinity. 
Trinity, obviously. Celery, bell peppers, onions. I use quite a bit, I like them. And the celery is getting two longitudinal cuts. And then cut into dice. This dish is gonna go together really fast. It takes a long time to cook, but it's, it only takes a few minutes to, to throw the whole thing together once all the, uh, once the beans have been soaked. Okay, so I got my Trinity cooking down. Now I gotta get my garlic ready to go. Do the old smash and peel method. That is six cloves of garlic. Give it a quick mince. And into the pot it goes. And now I'll collect the rest of my ingredients. So I got some Tabasco, gonna need some paprika, a little cayenne, a little bit of dried thyme, some black and white pepper, and something that is slightly non-traditional, although it's very current. Typically you would use Worcestershire sauce in, in red beans and rice, and a lot of South Louisiana dishes get it. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a pretty significant Vietnamese population down there now that have moved in in the last 30 years or so. A lot of them are in the shrimp industry. There's a lot of uh, Vietnamese immigrants in New Orleans and they are creating something of a Cajun Creole Vietnamese fusion. And so I occasionally, when I want something really funky, I will sub out my Worcestershire sauce with some fish sauce. It's really good actually, and Worcestershire sauce is basically fish sauce where the, with some additional sweeteners and some additional spices added. Um, it's made out of fermented anchovies. It's just got extra stuff in it, whereas fish sauce is just fermented anchovies. I'm gonna use some fish sauce in my red beans and rice. I got my pickled meat and I got my red beans and that's all going into the pot and that'll go for three hours. Obviously we cook our rice separately because you don't, you don't cook it in with the red beans. They get mixed together at the end. My onions are nice and translucent. Everything smells good. I'm gonna add about eight shots of Tabasco and about the same fish sauce. Get my pickle meat ready to go. I want those to get covered by the beans. And remember, you don't have to use pickle meat. You don't have to go to the trouble of making it. You can use smoked sausage. If you can find some kind of andouille that's any good around here, you can use that. You can make your own. You can use ham. You can use, I mean, you can use bacon. You can use nothing. I used to, I used to make a vegan red beans and rice that, you know, didn't have any pork products in it at all, obviously. But you can use pork shoulder, you can use whatever, you know, ham. Or you can just make, you can leave it completely out and you will still have a perfectly serviceable bowl of red beans and rice. The funny thing about beans is, I'm about to put this in the pot and, and Dutch ovens always look really huge until you make beans in them and then all of a sudden, everything's sort of filled up really fast, and you're like... <laughs> and now your pot looks tiny, because now all of a sudden I have a ton, a ton of beans in it. Now I'm remembering why I usually don't make the full pound of beans in one pot. Let me see if I can, see if I can stuff these down in here and make... Oh, they might work. They might work. I think I'm going to get just enough. They're going to swell up a bunch. This is another nice thing about doing them in the oven. You don't lose as much liquid. If you do them on the stovetop, it's really, really easy to boil all the water out of them so they get dry. You, you just gotta keep adding water to them. It's not that huge a deal, but it's easy to accidentally boil them dry. And I have done it on many occasions. <laughs> in the oven, it's not as much of a danger. So now I got my liquid in there. I mean, we are right to the top of this Dutch oven, so I'm a little nervous. Cayenne, a little black pepper, a little paprika. And a little, little dried thyme. You can always take a little more salt. My bean pot is full to bursting. So I'm gonna bring it up to a, to a simmer here on the stove top. All right. Okay, I got red beans in the oven for another, it's gonna be at least two hours. You know, I'll check it every half hour but it's gonna be a good solid minimum two hours, probably two and a half, maybe three. Part of it depends on how old the beans are, you know? You just never know how long your beans are gonna take. 
because you don't know how long they sat on the store shelf. just because the temperature and the flavor and whatnot and um, I don't know I just think it works well how about you what do you I never do that you never do what do you do I used to yeah. I don't need more butter is expensive I go through a lot of butter uh, yeah I mean, no. the people do it because of the flavor a lot of people think that it means that it won't burn too but that's actually not true it's not true no because the milk solids are going to yep, burn regardless. they're going to burn regardless well and so well i'm waiting for my butter to um, melt here a little bit so we're going to brown our little bread here and i hope you're hungry we're going to be ready for our and we could just make believe we have red wine because this would be really good with a glass <laughs> of red wine <laughs> i almost brought some i went no i'll be taking a nap if i do <laughs> so so this bread looks Fabulous, if I must say. Okay, so there's our bread. I think I'm just gonna set this off to the side for a minute. And we're just gonna get our little assembly ready here. I could have put tomatoes in with the beans and I went. But it's Alaska. Bingo. <laughs> I, I went to the market and I went, nah, they don't look good. They won't taste good. Nope. And besides this, it's a dish about red beans. And All that ever happens when you eat a tomato here is that you're reminded that they're terrible. I know. Although, did I tell you, I got I got my first good tomato ever here. How did this happen? I, 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 I grew <laughs> some. You went to the no, market? No, I, I grew some in my greenhouse. And, <gasps> and honestly, like, I've, I've never liked greenhouse tomatoes that much either. Like, some no. of them are okay, but they're never mm -hmm. that good. Right. But this particular one, and this is the worst part about it, is that I actually don't know what the variety is. Oh, because it was nuts. a free, it was a free one. That, that the seed company threw in, you know, sometimes they'll throw you free seed right? packets. And they sent me this thing and I didn't order any tomatoes <laughs> because I don't grow them, you know, because they're, they're always, they're, they always disappoint me. So I just don't waste my time anymore. I know. And these, I was like, all right, well, whatever, I'll plant them. I got them for free. And I grew them and they were actually, they grew pretty well. And, uh -huh. and then I finally, I wound up only getting like four or five of them. But you know what? I'm not going to, I'm I'm not kidding. They actually had like that sort of meaty tomato flavor oh. that is so, so hard to find up here. Oh. You know, like nothing tastes like that. The only the only tomatoes here that are any good like are usually like the grapes or the cherries. And they'll be, they'll at least have some sweetness, you know, yes. and a little bit of tomato flavor, but mm -hmm. they never have that like meatiness that like a really good field like tomato. Like a beef steak. Well, yeah, where you just tomato eat it and you're like, wow, this sun. is like, you know. I, yeah. wish, I wish I had a nickel for every time we've had this conversation oh, about I know. tomatoes. I know. Because we could jet up some. Yeah. I did have some really good ones from some of the local farmers this summer. They were um, really, really close to the real deal. Yeah. And so I was in heaven. And then we had a friend that brought some up. And uh, they weren't bad. So, uh, yeah, but I think of all the things that I miss back there, it's the tomatoes. Because yeah. I love, love tomatoes. So I'm going to take my bacon here. I, I diced this and cooked it last evening. I and I want to I wanna heat it up just a little bit. So we're going to pop it in our good old friend, Mr. Microwave, for just a, a, a tad. Mm. Ooh, that's good bacon. It's very good bacon. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really smoky. It's, I love it. I, it's I think very, it's, very direct and smoky. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, and it's different. You know, there was years that we'd go and get bacon from them and it, it wasn't so good. And other years it was just, this year I think was one of the best ever. So. It's a good vintage for bacon. It is. What would they call it? I guess a porkage. Porkage. People back in Wisconsin really have their stuff together when it comes to um, pork products. sausage and pork. Oh yeah. They, I, that's the other thing I really miss is good sausage. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to put a piece on my plate, and we're going to give Jeff two. So first we're going to put a little bit of our bean on here, and it's got the tomato, not tomato, it doesn't have the tomatoes in it. It's got the vinegar in it, and it's just, it's just kind of a milder bean. I don't know what you call it, but it's really good. And I think you could just sit and eat it out of the fridge. Okay, so that's that layer. Now my next layer, I'm gonna put it just a little bit of the pretty red onion and a little bit of the celery in there. It's kind of, the celery's kind of different, but what the heck, you know. 
I bet it'll work. It, it, it'll be okay. Celery, celery compliments. I love celery. Really well. I love celery. Have you ever cooked celery and just ate it? It's excellent. It really is. Like braised celery? Yeah, it's really good. Okay, so there's our onion layer. Now we're going to put a little of this lovely blue cheese on it. You do like blue cheese? I, I love blue cheese. Excellent. The this stinkier, is... the better. So next, um, we're going to put on our little walnuts. Sprinkle a few of those yummy little toasted goodies on here. And just so everybody knows, this is not a starter size. No, it's a big, <laughs> no, it's an this is definitely a main, a main <laughs> it's, it's size. It's a main side. And then now we're going to sprinkle some of that beautiful Wisconsin bacon crumbles on there. <gasps> okay. And wow. you know, I could have served this on a bed of arugula. No, 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 but no. But no. I was too lazy to do that. No. So there you go. And in, if you wanted to, which uh -oh. I love a little walnut oil that's what i just thought a it was quick little drizzle on there would be maybe kind of nice and then i would suggest a grind of pepper and a little sprinkle of finishing salt and voila there we have it that's lovely thank you and i hope that you enjoy it that so is that is truly a monstrous appetizer all right now we're going to try it well okay maybe it's a big sandwich <laughs> whatever but, I mean, it actually would be a really awesome main. It would. It's got the beans. It's got the cheese. You know? It's got the bacon. You could leave the bacon out if you're vegetarian. Now, my friend, I would like you to try it. And see, I keep forgetting. I think I forgot something, but I didn't. And I suppose you could personalize this any way you wanted to. If you wanted more balsamic on it. But I'm going to... Mmm. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Mm. It looks good. Thank you. Did they do good? I love it. Yay. Because the beans, like, they totally come through. I know, and I wanted that to happen, but... They're perfect. They're, like, right there. They're, I know. They're almost like... It's funny, because, like, there's all this, there's all these, like, super assertive flavors going mm -hmm. on in there with, like, blue mm -hmm. cheese and bacon and walnuts and mm -hmm. pickles and stuff. But somehow the beans, like, just sit there right in the I middle. I know. And they just, like, bring everything together. I do. They're creamy. These are, this was a, a lovely batch of red beans, just simply. Were these red kidneys or were they small red just beans? Just small red beans from the store. And I lucked out and didn't overcook them. I'm this is why I love beans. They beans. go with everything. Beans are so versatile. They do. You can, they're like a blank slate. It's like, you know. It, it's a main goal of the show to get people to eat more beans. Mm. Because I, th I just think they're awesome. And they're very environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. They're friendly to the world. Mm -hmm. They're not, maybe not so friendly to like the other people in the room with you sometimes. I was thinking about that. <laughs> did you, uh, would, so you, how did, when you cook these beans, did you soak these or did you? I did soak throw them. Throw them in, And then I had a dilemma about, shall I try them in the Instapot or should I just make them conventionally in the oven? Oh yeah, because you have the Instapot, that's right. Because I have this Instapot I, I seldom use and... I couldn't find anything that really said if you soaked your beans and then you put them in the Instapot, leave them in there for X amount of time. You know, I, I couldn't find anything that um, specified that. So I said, I'm not messing this up. You know, I have one pound of red beans here. This is for public radio. There's a lot. And right it in. has to be very important. <laughs> These are very important beans. And so I put them in my beautiful La Crusade Dutch oven. And, and in the oven they went. And not only did it make the house smell amazing, but they turned out perfect. And I can't say that that would have happened in the Instapot. People that, people that have them love them for beans. I know they do. And I mean, that's actually the reason why, the only reason I've really thought about getting one is for beans. Mm -hmm. Because supposedly, in theory, you can have bean, unsoaked beans ready in like four or five minutes. That's and what my, they say. My friend Suzanne, who makes a lot of beans, Mostly pintos, because her husband loves them. That's what she does, and they're ready in like yeah, forty minutes. Mm -hmm. So when you uh, when you did your beans, mm -hmm. are you a uh, do you do you cook them in the same water that you? That you no, I did. I you... didn't, but I have in the past. Yeah, I have too. And um, it's it always says to rinse it and so people drain claim them. that people claim that you fart less if you if you use fresh water. Really? That's the claim. 
I don't know. Because it has to do with certain complex sugars that your that your gut bacteria can't really break down, and some of those get dissolved into the into the soaking water, and then you pour them out. But then I've also heard people that say that that's not really that accurate at all. And then and then I was having a quandary and like, should I salt the beans before mm -hmm. I bake them? You should. And I thought, why not? Time. And I do, and and they t I put actually some seasoned salt in there, and it was excellent, and it smelled good, and I'm really glad I did because it. It wasn't too much. There's an old there's an old myth that like that you shouldn't ever mm -hmm. salt beans until right that. at the end, and it's complete nonsense. Like you you should you should salt beans as early as possible. I mean that's probably why part of the reason why these beans have such a distinct beany flavor is because they've been salted. Like there's actually yeah. salt which brings out the flavors in them. If you if you just salt right at the end of cooking, then you just get like a little bit of salt in the sauce, but it doesn't really penetrate into the bean. Well, anyway, this is this was my. Oh my goodness, Terry, you have to come up with something delicious with red <laughs> beans. And I'm like, I'm taking it on by gosh and by Gorn. So I did. And it was really fun. And it's really good. Thank you. I'm actually, I'm going to eat this entire thing. Well, good. I think I, um, I'm really is, happy you like it. It is delicious. This would actually be a really good, like, summertime. Uh-huh. Um, I was thinking that. Barbecue-y kind yeah. of thing. Something different. But even though it's the middle of January right now, yeah. it still works. It's still kind of hearty. And, and beans, beans are like, beans are all season. Beans are. I really, really like the red beans, and I will definitely make them again now that I know about amazing red beans. Yeah. It was fun, and it looks cool. I want to eat. I want to eat lots of it. Good. The the one recipe I found had um, feta cheese in it. Mm. And I don't think that'd be as good. I don't think that would be as good either. I think it'd be too salty. Feta has a little drier, more crumbly mm -hmm. texture. Whereas blue cheese is usually like soft and creamy, creamy mm -hmm. and it complements the beans. And I wanted that creamy, so. I think it's fantastic. Considering Thank that you. I considering that I threw you a huge curveball and <laughs> you was like, did. we're gonna do red beans and <laughs> I'm gonna take the easy recipe. <laughs> and I knew it, but, and you had to though, because it's what you do, it's where you're from. I mean, if you were to say, okay, Terry, we're gonna make a cheese soup. <laughs> you know, I'd have to say, well, you're not making the cheese soup. That's I'm true. making it. It's, it's... Thanks for feeding me. I was kind of hungry. You're welcome. <laughs> Here's to the humble bean. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But while we are waiting on the beans to cook, I can go ahead and cook my rice. Because it is okay to cook your rice a little ahead of time. So I got about a two quart saucepan here. I'm filling it maybe a little less than half full of rice. I rarely measure my rice anymore. If you are doing it on the stovetop, then one and a half to one ratio of water to rice is usually pretty good for just making regular rice. Sometimes like jambalaya will be, you know, more water. Some some rice dishes will be a little more, but just for making straight rice, I, I almost always find one and a half to one is good. I actually learned with one to one, but one to one's pretty challenging. Um, a lot of rice cookers actually will go less. So a lot of rice cookers will be one to one, or in some cases one to one and a third to one, something like that. It just, you have to look at whatever your rice cooker says, use that. But I don't have a rice cooker, which is kind of unfortunate. It's the one specialty appliance that I'm really thinking hard about getting, even though I do have a tiny kitchen and there's barely any room. They're really nice for a lot of reasons. One, they make perfect rice, which isn't super hard, but it can require a little attention paid. The other nice thing about them is they keep the rice warm for a long time. So you can make the rice, you know, at five or 5.30, let it sit in the rice cooker for an hour, hour and a half, and serve it at seven and it's totally fine. You know, some people I know that eat a lot of rice will just leave it in the rice cooker because it keeps it over 135, which is the cutoff zone for the danger zone for bacteria. Once you get over 135, bacteria, no bacteria can survive those temperatures. So it's fine, you can leave it in there indefinitely. And in a really top-notch rice cooker, because they control the humidity well enough, the quality of the rice doesn't suffer either. You know, it doesn't get mushy or anything like that. But I'm just a peasant. All I got is a saucepan, stainless steel saucepan, and a bunch of, in this case, medium grain rice. We will do a whole show on rice one of these days that will be about the ins and outs and intricacies of the differences between the different kinds of rice. But generally, long grain rice is the fluffy kind 
with really distinct separate grains. Short grain rice is the sticky kind, sushi rice, um, that tends to stick together, have a lot of starch. And medium grain rice is kind of in the middle. It's the rice of paellas, it's the rice of risottos. It's not as common, it's a little harder to find typically. Long grain and short grain are, are usually a little easier to find, but I, I like medium grain, especially for something like this that is gonna be kind of a saucy dish, uh, and I want the rice to sort of soak up a lot of that sauce. It's great for that. Long grain rice and medium grain rice tend to be the two most common kinds in Louisiana because they're the two most common kinds in Africa, which is where Louisiana rice cookery and the rest of southern U.S. rice cookery came from is Africa. There are a ton of rice dishes in Africa that are very familiar looking to uh, people, people from Louisiana and the rest of the South. So essentially, all of the rice cookery of the, the Gulf Coast and the, the East Coast in the U.S. derives from Africa. In a similar way that a lot of the East of the West Coast cooking, a lot of that tends to be um, derived from Asia for obvious reasons. Unless you're making, you know, like with risotto, you don't soak it because you want the rice to sort of help to make a very thick sauce, not soak it, but rinse it. And I actually grew up not rinsing rice and we almost always used, actually my mom's favorite favorite rice was a medium grain rice called uh, Watermaid. But nowadays I can't really, it's hard to, you can't really find Watermaid in Alaska. I think Mahatma is the same company. They have a really similar logo. So I always assumed they were the same. And Mahatma is long grain rice. Um, I grew up not really rinsing it, and it seems like it's not super common in a lot of African rice cookery to rinse the rice, although I am decidedly not an expert. It's just that most of the African rice recipes that I've seen, a lot of them tend not to rinse the rice unless they're looking for a really specific texture. Pretty much all of the Asian countries, including India and China, Japan, everywhere else, they pretty much always rinse their rice, even in places like in Thailand, like basmati rice is a long grain. A lot of Indian rice, like jasmine, is also a long grain, and they tend to rinse. Um, but I, I'm assuming, I, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that it was less common to rinse rice in Africa for whatever reason. And you get a little different texture. You get a little, you know, even long grain rice is going to have a bit of a sticky texture, and it's going to be a little more absorptive if you don't rinse it. So I actually, these days, I'm, I'm constantly sort of fighting myself, like, do I rinse the rice? Do I not rinse the rice? I go back and forth, honestly. You know, for, for certain things, like if I'm making, you know, if I'm making like a Chinese dinner, I will 100% rinse the rice because that's more, that's more of the texture that you're looking for. Sometimes, you know, if I'm making a gumbo or if I'm making something like, you know, something that's served over rice, sometimes I'll rinse and sometimes I won't. But today... Today I'm thinking that since this is going to be a dish that I want to absorb some of the sauce and I want the rice to sort of marry into the red bean sauce, I am not going to rinse my rice. Add a little salt. If you are a rinser though, it's a, it's a really easy technique. All you do is run, put your, put your rice in the pan, run water into it, pour off the water slowly, run more water into it, pour off the water slowly. Sooner or later, the, the water will run off mostly clear. At the beginning, it'll be real cloudy because it's washing off uh, free starch particles. And then as you, as you rinse it, there's less of that. So then you wind up with, uh, with a clearer water and less starch on the outside. And so fluffier and more distinct grains of rice. With something like a short grain rice where it's got a lot of starch anyway and it's kind of sticky even when it's been rinsed, if you don't rinse it, then it's like crazy sticky and it's like one big mass. With medium grain and with long grain, you do have a little more leeway because they don't, they don't naturally have so much starch. Okay, and now I've added my water to the standard unit of measurement for water on rice when you're not using anything else, which is it's going up to the first knuckle on my, I use my middle finger because I would rather have slightly more water in my rice than slightly less. Slightly more, you can always just op take, the, take the lid off right at the end, fluff it a little bit and let it steam away. Slightly less though, and it, it's gonna always have a crunchy interior. And crunchy interior is the, the two wicked poles of rice cookery are crunchy interior and mushy. So you got to avoid crunchy interior and mushy and you'll be okay. And uh, right up to the first knuckle on your, your middle finger is, is, is pretty accurate. 
But again, go a little more water rather than less, just to be safe. And you know, rice is, it's easy to cook in theory. I'm not gonna say that I haven't messed it up because I have. Usually when I mess it up, it's because I'm not paying attention or it's because I have the pan too hot and the water boils away before it can cook the rice. So the traditional method, the classic method for cooking rice on the stovetop is to bring your water to a boil. Don't stir it after it comes to a boil. As soon as it comes to a boil, cover it, turn the heat down, not quite as far as it can go because you, you still need it to, to maintain a bare simmer, but turn it down pretty low. And what I usually do, I have a simmer burner. You don't want it to boil too much. You don't want it because that will, that'll wind up venting steam and you'll lose a lot of the moisture that way. You want to keep the steam inside. You know, the first thing that'll happen is that the rice will absorb the water that's in there. And then the second thing that happens is that the water that's still left steams. And it's actually the steam that's cooking the rice. In fact, in a lot of, uh, there, it is pretty common to, uh, to steam rice in some of the, some of the Southeast Asian nations where they, where they do a lot of steaming. It's pretty common to, to steam their rice. It's not something I'm, I do because I'm not that familiar with it. I'm, I still stick with the method that I learned from my mom because it works. Sometimes you just got to go with what works for you. But if I had a rice cooker, and this is the other thing, you know, if you have a rice cooker, you can't make cooking shows because you just put all your ingredients in the rice cooker and you push the on button and you walk away. And then, I mean, you don't have anything to talk about. But here, I got to sit here and wait for this thing to come to a boil. So I have to run my, you know, I got a reason to stand here and talk. All right, I got a nice simmer around the edges of the pot. Just starting to get bubbling in the middle. I'm going to say it's time to cover this. Plop it onto my onto my simmer burner. Turn that guy up to that's about medium on my on my simmer. It's gonna you're gonna want it to be low if you don't have a simmer burner. If you just have the the regular one size fits all burners, put it on just about as low as you can get it. Those tend to run fairly hot even at the lower levels. And uh, I'm gonna let that sit. I'm gonna set a timer for 20 minutes, and then I'm gonna come back. And when that's done, then I'll just fluff it. I'll take the, take the lid off, fluff it, and let any remaining steam sort of evaporate away. And I will have a beautiful pot of rice that is ready to mix with some red beans as soon as those guys are done. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM890 in Homer, Alaska. It's hosted by Jeff Lockwood. My guest today was Terry Robel. Today's show was partially recorded at Station 12. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10 Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quator Ebane. This is the third episode of the winter 2020 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.